Welcome to the Inner Christianity Podcast, where we engage ideas, movements, and worldviews from a biblically Christian standpoint. I'm Angela here with Z and Isaac. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right. Uh, wife is becoming more and more pregnant, but oh yeah, it's a blessing from God. So we're happy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just chilling, just chilling in the streets, you know. <laughs> the streets. Okay. Anyways, I guess we'll move on. So today we have a great episode for everyone. Uh, hopefully it won't be too, too much, but we kind of talk about how we are a biblically centered podcast. So we wanted to clarify what that meant because that's going to bring many questions. And some questions we thought it would bring is how exactly do we view the Bible? Because there's so many ways to view it and different angles that Christians approach it with. Does one way matter for salvation, theology, and practical living? And how we, how do we even know what the right way is? Because there's so many disagreements within Christians and how to interpret it. So there seems to be a growing number of self-described Christians who do not want to make the Bible the highest authority in their life. And some churches even think it's unnecessary or even damaging and divisive to do so. So today, we want to address these questions and explain why we approach the Bible the way that we do, and even further, why we think Christians should hold a similar view as the authoritative Word of God and for doctrine and practice. So with all of that, let's start with this. What do you guys believe about Scripture? Well, I think a good place to start, and I think a lot of discussions about scripture can start with this passage is second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. So in the NASB translation, new, new American standard, it says all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable equipped for every good work. So it is God's word. It is, it is inspired by God. The, the NIV, New International Version, is actually a bit more literal in that, just in that particular instance, because it says all scripture is God breathed. So it's the very breath of God. It's inspired by the spirit. And so that's kind of how we, sh that's a good starting point in kind of how we view scripture. I think for me, the starting point similar to that would be John 1, kind of saying how the word was God and with God. So so for some people to put the Bible as a record or something else other than a divine kind of like word or message from God is kind of where I would say, let's look at this passage here. Yeah, and I think with that starting point, like there's a certain high view of inspiration. So we believe that this meaning of God of scripture being God breathed means that the ideas and words in the Bible were intended by God and they used the biblical and God used the biblical authors to write what he intended. That doesn't mean that he overran their personalities and made them puppets, but he used them in some way to make sure that his word was written. And because of that, we have this very, very high view of scripture as um, the rule of faith and practice in our lives. And I think 
one of the doctrines that we would hold to, and this is a distinct, distinctly Protestant doctrine, is called sola scriptura, which means, which means scripture alone. Um, we understand that Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians don't share this doctrine. Um, I'm not accusing them of not having a high view of scripture, but the reason that we hold to this is because this, I think, properly places scripture as the only infallible rule of faith. Okay, not the only rule of faith. It doesn't mean they're not only, there are not other sources of authority. Um, like I study philosophy, there's history, there's science, there's a, a bajillion other sources of authority and subjects that we can turn to, but it's the only one that's infallible. So not tradition, not what a tribunal of church experts say, only scripture is infallible, which means it's incapable of error or making a mistake when it comes to what it's teaching. Mm -hmm. So with the authorities that you got, you just talked about, what if there's a conflict? Like, say science, because that's, I think, something comes up a lot is what science says versus what the Bible says, especially about creation and origin of humans. How would you go about that to conflict of authorities? Well, what I would say is a lot of times these conflicts aren't as apparent or obvious as some people think. And I kind of view it as like different sources of authority have a conversation with one another. So a kind of simplistic way of, view, of viewing it, this is called like the Wesleyan quadrangle, is to have four basic sources of authority when it comes to theology. There's scripture, reason, experience, and tradition. Now, it's not as simple as, you know, like a pyramid. It's like these four sources are in conversation with one another meaning that they do help in, in terms of clarifying what each one of them is saying, but scripture still takes the lead. So here's what I mean by that. Does philosophy and reason affect our interpretation of the Bible? Yes, of course it does. That's, I think it's unavoidable actually for that to happen, but it's still like trying to interpret the Bible in the best way possible with certain philosophy in mind. So for example, um, one way that we use philosophy, a very basic way we use philosophy to interpret the Bible is that if we have two verses, that if you interpret one verse one way and another verse another way, but they are contradictory to one another, you probably messed up in how you interpreted the Bible. And that's using philosophy, like the law of non-contradiction, be like, okay, I messed up on one or both of these interpretations. And that's kind of one way you do that, but you're still trying to use these sources to interpret the Bible the best you can. And, but of course, at the end of the day, if there are certain, some parts of scripture that are difficult to explain, that we're, they're not as readily confirmed by certain pieces of evidence that we want, we still stick to the Bible because it is ultimately God's word. I see. So there's room for other authorities to play with the authority of the Bible. And there's a good way to do that. And I guess we'll talk more about how to interpret well and to be consistent, because that's one of the main things when it comes to the Bible. So then uh, we touched on inerrancy and infallibility before. Z, did you want to briefly just give a quick definition again, just to remind the audience? Sure. Inerrancy is more so pointing to, like we would say, the integrity of scripture. The Bible is without error. 
And when we talk about that, we mean the original autographs or the original manuscripts, the ones that were written in the very beginning. We obviously don't have those anymore. Now, it's not to say that the translations now don't have some issues. We're just talking about the ones that were written in the very beginning were inerrant. And infallibility more has to do with the doctrine of scripture. So we believe that whatever the Bible teaches, that those things would be principally true, regardless of the era and the time frame we're in. Inerrancy also doesn't mean, like we, it means that the Bible is without error in its original manuscript, but also doesn't mean literally take everything that it says. There's also room for figurative language, uh, vague language, um, different types of how something is being communicated. Like there's room for poems, for historical narratives, things like that. So we also want to make that clear as well. Yeah, and a good general statement to look at is the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. Now, not every person who believes in inerrancy is going to agree with every little detail of that statement, but it's a good kind of ballpark idea of inerrancy. And like Angela said, it, does, it doesn't mean literalism. So a good definition that I sometimes like to use for inerrancy is that the Bible was without error in its original manuscripts and is as precise and literal as the author intended. Okay, so the author can intend, obviously, just figurative language or even roundabout figures. So if you were to ask me, like some people, you know, and this happens all the time, if someone asks you, like, what time it is, but it's 3.02 and you tell them 3 o'clock, does that mean you lied? No, it just means that you gave them a number. And the Bible does that frequently as well and so that's not an error because that's still as precise as the author intended okay so one of the objections that i've heard then if that is the definition why does inerrancy matter so much if we don't even have the originals like how are we to trust that then yeah i think that's a great question because you know, if we kind of give that definition, it's only the originals that we say are inerrant. And, you know, the natural question would be, well, we don't have those anymore. That kind of gets into a, a subject called textual criticism. Like, is the Bible that we have today a faithful representation of what was originally written? And there's a lot we could get into it, but in a nutshell, I'd say that we have enough evidence, particularly of the New Testament, with all the Greek manuscripts that we have, we have over 5,000 of them, to faithfully reconstruct what the Bible originally said. Um, estimates over 99% certainty. And then those places where we're not entirely certain what the original said, they don't really affect any major doctrine of the church, of Christianity as a whole. So, so the, the reason inerrancy is important is like, okay, there, there were documents that were without error, that were inspired by God, and through the care of Christians, as well as we would say the providence of God, that has been faithfully preserved for us today. So what we're reading in our Bibles today, we can be very confident that this is what was originally intended and written. Got it. So there is like a whole science and a whole field on this. It's not just Christians saying, oh, yeah, you got to believe it because it's the Bible. But there's evidence 
and a good amount of evidence to point to the original manuscripts. Right. And now textual criticism doesn't address whether or not the Bible is the word of God. It only mm -hmm. addresses, is what we have now a faithful representation of what was written? And that's all it addresses. And in that case, I'd say yes. Okay. So we know then the Bible is, um, I guess, trustworthy in what the original manuscripts are saying. But what about the idea that it is the word of God, that it is God breathed and that idea of scripture alone? Like, how can we know that aspect of the Bible? Well, I think like we mentioned a little bit earlier, when John is talking about how the message is Christ, I think it really pinpoints that like Christ had multiple roles and, and one of them being the message being proclaimed. So I think scripture does clarify scripture and in that kind of principle and mentality, what we then have to do is like not look for these little discrepancies, like, oh, these numbers are different, so the Bible's wrong. But more so looking at the integrity and it's like like at, at, at the whole of it is the message changing is is the content changing so if we know that it's pretty faithful to the original scripts then we can know that what god's communicating to us there has to be some kind of difference if he's saying that he is the word and he was there in the beginning then who are we to say that it's different so i think for me like i don't really need too much more to tell me that this isn't the word of God, because then it's on someone else to show me why that argument has to change. For me, I would say there's Jesus's own attitude to the old towards the Old Testament, which I think was very, very high. Obviously, he doesn't use the words inerrant, but the way he treats the Old Testament seems to have that very, very high view of it, high authority. Um, he trusts it implicitly. And of course, the New Testament hadn't been written during his time, but that's his view of the Old Testament. And when it comes to the New Testament, not only do we trust in the apostles' teachings, we see the self-understanding of the, the apostles and what they're written, of their, what they're writing. So like Peter has an awareness of what Paul was writing. He calls it scripture. You know, he treats it as scripture. We see, you know, in 2 Timothy, that all scripture, and I think Paul has a self-understanding of what, what he himself is also writing. So I think it has that self-understanding of itself. And so if you have this view of inspiration, that's a very, very high view of inspiration. What I talked about, um, this fancy word called verbal plenary inspiration, then I think ideas like infallibility and inerrancy naturally follow. That if this was God breathed in this particular way, then it makes sense that what was written did not contain any error. Okay, so it's also some level of faith and trusting that what God said about scripture is true. Yes, and look, I, I want to make this very clear because I think even a lot of conservative Christians have confusion on this. Mm -hmm. Inerrancy is not a requirement for salvation. I believe it's the belief in inerrancy is the result of salvation. I don't think it makes sense to expect mm. someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to accept something like the doctrine of inerrancy or sola scripture or any of any of the other doctrines of scripture. I mm. think first comes a trust in who Jesus is, and it comes through the testimony of scripture, but 
you know, you can take the testimony of scripture without considering it inerrant. And then mm. once you have faith, I think you look at how Jesus looked at, the, looked at scripture and you, and you read scripture itself and you get the, you get the sense that it is um, a witness to who God is and who Christ is. And so that um, development of something like inerrancy, infallibility, so on and so forth, that comes from faith but it is not the cause of faith. Okay. So I've heard then, because it's clear you guys have a high view of scripture and that we hold the Bible to be God's words. But some people reference John chapter 5, verse 39, which says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And I, I've heard people use this verse to say that people are worshiping the Bible, that the Pharisees care too much about the word of God, and then they miss Jesus, the person of God, and how Jesus himself is more important than what the scriptures are using this verse. And how would you respond to that? I think the context is very important. The Pharisees did not have a personal relationship with God. So although it is true that they were looking through the Old Testament, they missed out on who the Messiah was. So for those of us who are believers and saved and looking through scripture, to make that accusation is probably not the right one to make. Like we're all in agreement that we have a relationship with Christ. We're just trying to process where the word of God fits in our priorities. And so I would say that what Christ is saying is like, you need to have a relationship with me before you do all these things. So similar to the book of James, you know, people are saying, is this supposed to be works and then faith, faith and then works? It's always obviously God first. And then from the outflow of that, that's why we do these things. So you look through scripture because you want to know God in a deeper way. You're not doing it vice versa. So, Yeah, I've seen this verse brought up by people who accuse conservative evangelicals of like, bibliolatry like i you know <laughs> idolizing the bible but it strikes me as a very clear example of just misreading the text because jesus is clearly not saying therefore don't therefore don't look at the bible too much he is telling these teachers of the law like hey you you examine the scriptures but you've missed something very important because he straight up says they testify about me so why would he still refer to the bible if he's trying to say don't look to the bible too much that doesn't make sense he's saying you missed out on something important and that's why you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life so you're looking in the right place you're like he's they're looking in the right place but since they misunderstood it they're not they're not seeing that it's pointing to jesus as the source of eternal life and so that's really what's going on. It's kind of silly, I think, to take this verse as saying, therefore, Bible is not important. <laughs> right. Or they make a distinction between the Bible and Jesus, and you're choosing between Jesus or the Bible. But what really, it's both. Right. You need both. And the scripture is meant to point to Jesus. And like y'all said, Jesus holds scripture in a high view as well. So that actually actually transitions nicely to our next question. Why does a high view of scripture matter in terms of like practically, like how we live out or our relationship with God? 
I think in the past, we have a lot of people look at scripture and want to pick and choose what they think would benefit them. If you look at a lot of people in communist China, they like the morals of Christianity, but not the radicalness of the gospel and the faith in Christ. They want faith to be in the government. See Thomas Jefferson picking and choosing his own Bible. And so when you when you look at it, people like the ethics and morality of it. But the problem is if you're picking and choosing, then you get to decide what's important and what's not. I think that's our position to make. So for me to hold it in high regards means that as I follow it and live it, it's not that I'm just literally living through every single thing in the Old Testament, but there is a dynamicness to it. It's not static. It's not something that just stays there and you have to follow it you know, to the T, but it's showing you that in the context that you're in, you have an ability to live in a way that shows others why you love Christ or why you want others to follow him. So for me, it's, it's, a guide and it does simplify things you know i don't have to make my own standard i just follow the standards of scripture yeah and like z said there seems to be this all too common human tendency to slide into theological or ethical compromise so in the instances he was talking about it's like people who like certain teachings of the bible like give to the poor love your neighbor as yourself and so they run with that but slowly over time because they don't have this high view of scripture all of scripture as being god breathed they start losing the gospel and that's something we talked about in our previous episode of progressive christianity they seem to be really losing out on the gospel itself which is kind of a weird thing to do because that's such a that's the central point of the new testament and and to be fair there are people maybe on the other side too who want to just maybe preach about Jesus in like this very, very bare sense, like, you know, believe in him or, you go, or you're going to hell. And they just leave out all sorts of other teachings about how we should live, how we should be transformed. And that too kind of betrays a low view of scripture because you're just kind of sticking to maybe, you know, one or two parts of it and ignoring the rest. And so having a high view of scripture, I think forces Christians reminds Christians to take all of it into account and try to have a very holistic theology that um, honors all of the word of God. So you guys are saying that it protects us from picking and choosing, but it also protects us from compromising. But a lot of what the Bible talks about is kind of old is what I hear. <laughs> and it is, it's 2000 plus, 2000 plus years old, right? And it doesn't really address the problems that we go through today. So how would you then answer that? And how like the Bible is so old that it doesn't address what we have today. And therefore, like it doesn't really, it's not relevant. I think if people don't have a careful reading of scripture, there's definitely a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings, right? So the Old Testament God, people typically process him as this warrior, this vengeful warrior who's destroying everything. But they don't realize that he gave ample warning for people to repent, to come back to him. And because he's faithful to the covenant he made with his people, he had to uphold it. So if they promised to follow him, he would bless. If they disobeyed, he'd have to punish. And so because he is faithful and he has to uphold his image, who he is, his glory, that's why he has to do this. And so the Old Testament is actually 
God showing a ton of mercy on his people by constantly sending prophets to have them repent instead of just saying like, oh, he's this God of fire and brimstone. So I think in terms of practicality, we see that we're stubborn too. We're not the Israelites per se, but we, we can see these like common kind of streams and lines that, that point to our lives as well. Obviously, people like to read the New Testament because they feel like it's more modern, whatever that means. But I think even in that context, like the new builds upon the old. And when we see the need for a savior and the complex Levitical sacrificial systems that kind of pour in, we need to be thankful that we don't have to kill animals to ask God to forgive us of our sins, right? Now, how complicated would that be? Like, I, I wouldn't know the first thing about sacrificing birds or cows or whatever, right? So I think for me, if people really took the time to read through scriptures, it would clear up a lot of their misconceptions. And you can actually find a lot of just practical wisdom and know-how on how to just live one's life. Yeah, I would ask people who bring up this objection, like what exactly do they mean when they say the Bible doesn't address our everyday problems or our present problems? Because I do believe in the sufficiency of scripture. I don't always agree with how some people formulate the idea of the sufficiency of scripture. I take it to mean that the Bible is sufficient in matters of faith and practice, meaning of teaching about the gospel and teaching kind of big Christian living. Now, if you're failing a calculus exam or a calculus class and you're studying for the exam, the Bible is not going to teach you calculus, you know, sorry, you're, you're in big trouble. Um, it's not going to tell you how to do your taxes. And some, for some Christians, like, I'm going to tell you, like, it's not necessarily going to tell you who you're supposed to date. You know, some people try to look into the Bible for like secret codes for their personal <laughs> lives. It's not going to be any of that. I'm sorry. But what it, is going to, what it is going to do when properly read is like, if you properly read it in its context and its, its historical context, you'll learn principles about who God is and who we are as people, because human nature is the same as it's today as it was a few thousand years ago. God is the same as he was a few thousand years ago as he is today. And so those two things, since those are constant, when they teach us about what humanity is, particularly people who bear the image of God, but are also sinners, and, also, and then also teach about who God is. He is a gracious, just, loving God. Those things have ample application in our world today and teaches about things like reconciliation, forgiveness of one another. And of course, you can even go to the book of Proverbs and there's a lot of practical living advice there that has um, application to today. So this idea that the Bible doesn't address present problems, like I'd like to hear more because if they're, you know, again, if they're just trying to be super specific, like, oh, the Bible doesn't tell us, you know, what government to run or who to vote for. Like, yeah, but okay. <laughs> you know, the Bible, I think, addresses far more important questions than that, frankly. Right. So we establish what we believe, which is that the Bible is inerrant, it's inspired, it's a word of God, therefore authoritative, but also sufficient. But I think one of the biggest issues isn't necessarily what we already talked about, but there is a general understanding that it is the word of God. But a lot of times what you find are disagreements and arguments on how to interpret the word of God. And so I think this is one of the more important issues of interpretation and application that comes from those interpretations, right? So 
how do we know which one's right? Like who has a better interpretation or more so the right interpretation? Is there such thing as a right one? We do think that there is the right one, but because we're fallen and sinful, we're not able to completely grasp that at the moment. So maybe that's a cop-out answer for some, but I think it kind of gives me the freedom to know that I don't have to be perfect in how I answer the question. I need to trust in the one who is perfect and also have this kind of heart of humility when I'm engaging and talking with others to not be belligerent or polemic or fighting against them if they don't understand what I'm saying, but most so approaching it in a way that is accommodating and understanding that, hey, like, what are your views and how do you view it and how do I view it? So I think a common denominator or a common bridge is like, we definitely need people to be charitable, but also just following certain laws of logic. Like if you're trying to do something and you're not following procedure, it's it's easier for us to look at and be like, hey, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So for instance, like growing up, one of the parts about being in an Asian culture is that the parents will pick and choose certain parts, you know, like respect your elders, you know, it, that pinpoints more like overseers and pastors, but I don't know, I must have heard that from every single person that was older than me. You have to respect me, you have to do this, you have to do that. And it's not an improper interpretation. It is true that they have to respect elders, but it's equivocating the term elders and pastors to them as being older. And I think when you make that distinction and use the wrong definition for a word that can mean many things and you don't describe it, explain it, that's where the problem is. So a lot of things are easily cleaned up if we can just follow a certain amount of rules. But I think that's where training is important. Like just basic things like, hey, just clean this up. This is good. And we can keep going. But yeah, I think on some issues, like is there a premillennial kingdom, like a thousand year established reign? Is there one? Is there not one? Is it now? Is it later? Like these things don't necessarily change the gospel context. So a lot of interpretation we have is what makes the church so diverse. We have so many denominations because people think this or they think that about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, right? So I think for me, those are like second tier issues. It's not that big of a deal for me. Like I hold to what I hold and you hold to what you hold, but it's not that you're not saved. But I think interpretation, there has to be room for that. Otherwise we'd all be the same set, same, same type of cookies, like no difference. Well, in terms of how do we know which interpretation is right? I think it's pretty easy. It's whatever mine is. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I do think the text itself, so th there, okay, there is a wide variety of interpretations and not all of them are crazy. I think like Zeph and I said, there is room for legitimate disagreement for Christians who are approaching the text in a way that we are like very high view of scripture, but the text itself imposes like a limitation, I think on which interpretations are maybe more legitimate than others. So let me tell you a story from high school. So this wasn't about the Bible per se, it just showed how just clueless some people are when it comes to interpretation. Someone like visited our humanities class to share his poetry it was a friend of the teacher. And so he gave us a poem. I forgot exactly what the poem was about, but he was arguing like, hey, there might be multiple interpretations of my poem, like the poem that he himself wrote, but it imposes, like the poem itself imposes a limitation of what are legitimate interpretations. And this girl in our class kept fighting him. And she was like, well, what if I wanted the poem to be about child abuse? 
and he kept trying to ask her. He was like, okay, I would ask you how, what in the text gives you the idea that this poem is about child abuse? And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. It's just how I feel. It's about child abuse. And I'm just sitting there like you are arguing with the person who wrote the poem <laughs> that his poem is about child abuse when he's telling you it's not. And people who go about the text like that, and there's many people who clearly do, those are interpretations that can be safely discarded as like ones that are not to be taken seriously. So you have to, when you're doing interpretation, you want to look at the literary context, meaning the surrounding text. You want to look at the historical context and you want to look at the canon and you want to, and you really want to come at it with the attitude of, I want to extract meaning from this passage in the best way I can with the best interpretive skills that I can without doing too much of reading into the text what I want. Hmm. And so there can be disagreement to an extent, but there are interpretations of scripture that I think just straight up are garbage, frankly. And we can throw those out pretty easily. And I don't know if I should bring up examples right now and offend people, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how I view interpretation. Yeah, I mean, we'll naturally bring up how we interpret certain texts in future episodes, depending on the topic, right? So I think that will bring more of a better or fuller understanding to what we mean by what we're saying now. But what I'm hearing is that there is a right way to go about interpretation that is faithful to the text and that it's not up to the reader to determine that meaning. So whatever you think or feel the Bible is saying, it's not meant to be that way so the author is writing to a specific audience at a specific time and you can extract the principle of the message although maybe not the details of that and that comes with training and learning thank you for clarifying that yeah um, and i want to i want to make clear like z said we do want to be charitable to mm -hmm. people who disagree and people who know me know really like hearing a variety of interpretations i even entertain certain ideas that many evangelical conservative Christians wouldn't, because I'm just very interested in hearing like what, for example, an open theist, how he would interpret certain passages. And if you don't know what open theism, theism is, don't worry about it. It's just, but a lot of, I will just say a lot of conservative evangelicals don't like them, <laughs> but I, I like hearing that, but I'm more interested in like, how do I perceive someone's coming at the text? It, they're com clearly coming at the text with an agenda to be self-affirming about what their belief system is or trying to affirm their own behavior, then when I can detect that, I'm really not interested in what they have to say because I can tell in their approach to scripture that they're just doing whatever they can to twist what it's saying to try to justify themselves. And when people come to the text like that, then that's really the problem. I don't have a problem with Christians who are coming at the text honestly, and then there's just disagreement, right? That can be discussed. Um, it's a problem when people are are just trying to co-opt the Bible to do whatever they want. Right, because when you come with preconceived no notions or like things that you have an agenda with and you're trying to read onto the text, you have to remember that back then they didn't have these ideas. So no matter what you think, could be happening in scripture. Let's say the other church was sharing everything, so they must be communist. Well, that kind of political ideology wasn't even present at the time, right? It was a much more modern type of like thought. So I remember when I was in English class at TCU, 
we were studying like old English and Geoffrey Chaucer, like my teacher was really interested in issues of human sexuality. And so every, every character was interpreted in that way. And so whether or not it was true, it was interesting because it's a way to analyze the text. But to say that every text would then be interpreted in that way would be too extreme. So like, like Isaac is saying, like, you can use everything to study, but you also have to filter through what's like maybe absurd or what's like too extreme. So how do you then, because you guys kind of mentioned like primary and secondary doctrines and how we have so many denominations as a result of different interpretations and how no one knows for sure what the right answer is, even though we can get close. So what is primary? What is secondary? Who gets to choose what? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to primary and secondary doctrine, I think we can turn to scripture itself in terms of what it emphasizes as the core of Christianity, what will save people. And so you see things over and over again, for example, in the New Testament, like the resurrection and the atonement of Jesus. So those would obviously be things that are elevated to this primary status in terms of what determines salvation. Um, we can look at other sources as well, like history, tradition. So we look at the history of the church. What has the church from the very beginning emphasized as the gospel, as they've understood it as passed down from the apostles and what they read in scripture? And we see consistently that it is these certain doctrines, like the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, um, the atonement for sins, these kinds of things are what is important in Christianity. And you see things like that in the Nicene Creed moving forward. So that's kind of how we can determine between what's primary and secondary doctrine. Primary meaning like this is like what Christianity actually is. And then there's really not a lot of room of disagreement for that. Now, secondarily, kind of other things, um, it doesn't mean there's not a right answer, but we have to judge that again about who's Who's, the, who's bringing the most likely explanation of the text? And there can be some room for disagreement with that, but there's also room for confidence that if you like, hey, I read this passage, I look at it very closely, and this is where I land. And it doesn't mean I, I discount other Christians as not being saved. It just means that I'm pretty sure this is the right answer. So an example of this would be baptism. You know, we're all Baptists here, so we believe in believer's baptism by immersion. Presbyterians do not agree with this. Now, does that mean that I think people like Timothy Keller are not saved? No, of course not. I think he has done great things in his ministry. But this is an area where I think it's fair for me to say uh, there's ample support of scripture, for, of scripture in my position, and the Presbyterian position to me is more built upon human tradition. And again, that's a disagreement. Doesn't mean I can't be charitable, but also doesn't mean I can't be convicted about that. So the primary is like identity of Jesus and how he obtained salvation. Those are things that if you consider yourself Christian, you have to kind of hold to. Right. And then secondary things are things that there is room for difference based on even the Bible itself showing different examples of difference and things like that, like baptism. Okay, I think that's pretty clear enough. Um, we did kind of talk about how it does take time to build just because it is 
an ancient text and it is a cultural gap for us in terms of how we understand the Bible and when it talks about idol worship and foods, sacrifice idols, like that doesn't really like connect with us. And so what are some practical tips that people can do to get better at that? Well, I think if you're trying to learn through scripture, you can go online to find a whole bunch of different groups or just like communities who think a certain way. So I would say try your best to find groups that are really serious about studying through scripture, who have some kind of knowledge in the original languages. It's easy to read something in English or Chinese or whatever Korean and be like, oh, this is what the Bible means. But there are there are some like translational issues that come through if you're not reading the original text. So but also think like just be understanding that like why was it there? I think I think when you treat the word with respect and you're trying to really understand it, then the the attitude that you're coming from will will take you to a place where you can continue not only to treat respect, but you start to respect it and then others will respect you because of the way that you approach the word of God. So, and yeah, just talking to people that kind of have studied scripture and, and talk to different types of people and then see how you come to your own conclusions as well. Yeah, I'd echo some of what you said. Um, finding a church that teaches and preaches from the word seriously is a good place to start. You do have to be careful about some sources online that you find. But if you find certain sources that do seem to be approaching the Bible very seriously and not in a way where they're just trying to justify a certain lifestyle, for example, then those are kind of good sources to look at. You know, Bible.org, for example, has not only the Bible, but also a variety of decent to very good articles on a variety of passages and topics. And that's just one example. Of course, you can look at certain commentaries if you're a little bit more enterprising. But I'd also say, keep reading it. And it's not like most people don't have some skill they learn from school when it comes to reading comprehension and coming up with main points or main ideas of a passage. And so practicing that over and over again as you read the Bible yourself regularly is a good way to get better at it. And then, of course, don't just do it by yourself. Once you do it, you can talk about it with your small group, with other people. And so theology should happen in conversation. And so other people can kind of check your interpretation and either affirm it or point out maybe blind spots that you had. Yeah, and I think a really good resource is something called the Bible Project. You can find out on YouTube. They have podcasts and they even have online seminary level classes for free. If you're really serious about learning more on how to be faithful to the text, I think Bible Project does a really good job in presenting the Bible as is, as faithfully as they can in the time and that they can. And they have cool visuals to go along with it. So if you're more of a visual learner, Bible Project is awesome. Any last closing thoughts before we conclude this episode? Okay. Well, I'll just say that, you know, a very high view of scripture we believe is important because it's healthy for a Christian and it's healthy for churches. Again, I, you know, I want to reiterate that I don't believe that it is salvific, that Christians have to agree with us on these particular doctrines of scripture in order to be saved and reconciled to God. I'm merely saying that the, this kind of high view of scripture guards theology 
brings about maturity, actually equips people to do ministry well. And I think it's honoring to God. It's the most obedient um, way to approach the Bible. So that's why we believe this kind of approach to scripture is important. Uh, reading the word doesn't have to be some kind of scary endeavor. Like I know there seems like there's 66 books and a ton of chapters, especially when you hit like Old Testament books like Isaiah or Psalms. But it's like a discipline with anything that you want to do. You have to put time in, invest in it. And as you do so, you start to really understand that these are the words of God. And as he's speaking to you through his word, you start to understand his character more. And I think if you want to have a better relationship, God, it's, it's very key to know him in a deeper way. And so you just keep reading and keep processing through it. And it's like if someone you loved wrote you their last words, you would keep holding on to them. So I think we really have to process that and, and know that, hey, like this means a lot. And this isn't just a random old book. Yeah, I think that's well said and something a great reminder that the Bible is something that God gave us to reveal more of who he is. Like we don't have to question. We don't have to guess who God is. He has revealed himself to us already through the Bible. And that's such an amazing gift that we have as Christians. And I know I've seen people read thick books like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings so easily and so fast, right? But when it comes to the Bible, it's like dragging the feet. But just to really encourage you guys, as you read it, as you understand it, you see the beauty and the how amazingly well thought out and crafted the bible is and so i just want to encourage you guys to keep at it and yeah it does good things take time and effort um but ultimately we wanted to establish this episode to show that we are biblically centered and what we mean by that we mean we believe in the inspiration inerrancy authority sufficiency and so i hope that helps and if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you guys. So don't be shy, guys. Send it in. And uh, we thank you so much for listening to this episode. We are Inner Christianity. See you next week.